Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. If you've been following the show for a while and you know a little bit about my journey, then you know that besides hosting the Storytelling Lab, another way that I help people through storytelling is speaking, giving keynote speeches, presenting workshops, doing coaching, uh, like one-on-one story coaching. And that's something that I've only been doing for about two years now, maybe not even quite that long, maybe between a year and two years. And I decided about two years ago that that was something I wanted to start doing. I realized that was a way that I could impact my audience in in a greater way, in a deeper way. And so I started studying people who do what I wanted to do. I started thinking about, okay, how could I how could I do this? Who could I tap into? How could I reach people through speaking and being on stages and presenting workshops? And when I did this, I just I just started soaking up as much information as I could. You know, following podcasts, subscribing to podcasts, reading tons and tons of books and articles and following YouTube channels of all these people that I looked up to. 
And today my guest is one of the people that I found along the way. Grant Baldwin is a professional speaker and he hosts a podcast called The Speaker Lab. So, you know, great minds think alike. We're here on the Storytelling Lab. And he also has a program called Booked and Paid to Speak. And so I had been following his podcast for a while and listening to all the great speakers that he that he hosted on there. And then I'd go look them up on Twitter and LinkedIn and connect with them and, and learn from them. If they had books, I'd, I'd buy them or download them and continue to soak up this information. And all of it was was so good. And this guy really what I like so much about Grant is he he, he was I could see myself in him like and what I've learned since then is that uh all speakers are just they're just regular people all these people that you look up to that one point they were where you are right and and so he told his story so authentically that it showed me and made me feel like I could do it too and that's the thing and that's what he does for all of his students he he gives them a roadmap but more, and because he lays out these steps it makes you realize hey this isn't just a dream that I have to hope for I can actually do it and so, you know, something in common with all of those people, Grant included, that I looked up to that had done something significant in their lives, whether they were authors or, or filmmakers or whatever, there was always a point, there was always a point where they took a leap of faith, okay? They invested in themselves like they had never done before. And often that was financially, or it could be just taking a risk or starting a business, or for Grant, it was like, I'm going to start speaking. Uh, this is what I want to do. And I decided to do the same thing. I signed up for Grant's Elite Booked and Paid to Speak program, and I am in the middle of it now. I'm comfortable as a speaker. A lot of what's in the program is for people that haven't done anything, and so it's teaching you how to present and 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 how to talk and how to find the topic you want to talk about. Well, I already knew all that stuff, and I've been on stage my whole life, so I felt comfortable with that. What I was a rookie at was knowing the business of speaking, like how do you find good gigs? Who do you talk to about it? How do you lock them down and all that sort of thing? Grant lays out every bit of that. And right now he has a book that just came out and I'm reading it. It's called The Successful Speaker. And this, this, if you don't want to sign up for the whole coaching program, this is a tool that you can use to to lay out a roadmap and follow it. Because now that I've started to speak, I know so many people that are like, oh, I want to I want to do what you're doing. I want to be speaking too. Well, this book will help you do it. Grant is an awesome person. Like he clearly has a mission to help people. And he was so gracious with his time. And we had a lot of fun. It's clear that he's a professional and you can tell why he's able to do what he does and has done it for, I think, 15 years. He might be going on 20 years by this point, but he's not that old. He's a young guy, but he's just, he knew what he wanted. And for about 10 or 15 years, he's just been knocking it out of the park. And now he has distilled all that knowledge, all the lessons he probably learned the hard way into an awesome book called The Successful Speaker. And I can attest to all the value of the and information that you get from his podcast, as well as his coaching program, Booked and Paid to Speak. So um, you guys came here to learn how to use storytelling to be better speakers and use storytelling on stage. Here's Grant Baldwin telling you just how to do that. Check it out. I know you will love it. Well, welcome, Grant. I appreciate your time, brother. How are you? 
doing quite well, Ryan. Thanks for letting me hang out with you, man. You know, it kind of looks like I'm looking in a mirror, you handsome devil. I know. I love it. I know. I, I know. We're, we're, we're blessed, you know. It's a blessing <laughs> and a curse. What are we going to do? Kindred spirits. Uh, well, before, before we get started, uh, I have to call out the elephant in the room. Uh, I mentioned this to you when I reached out, but you have an awesome podcast that I've been listening to called The Speaker Lab. Today, you're on The Storytelling Lab, and I don't know if you believe me, that was not a ripoff. <laughs> uh, I, st- I started the, the show a couple of years ago and I found yours uh, maybe about six months ago. Really been enjoying it. Love the guests that you have. Cool. And then when I reached out, like, oh my God, like he's going to think that I just heard the speaker lab and started this. So uh, you're good. You're good. The <clears throat> internet's a big place. You're fine. It's a big place. And like I said in the email, we'll just chalk it up to, you know, great minds thinking alike. But exactly. Uh, That's what it is. But I mean, my, my, reason for naming it that and yours may be similar is is i like to get down to the nuts and bolts of really really what's happening and what it takes to be good storytellers to impact our audience through stories and so uh when i use that expression to art and science that kind of led me to that like yeah it's it's kind of like a lab and not just like the storytelling room yeah Um, yeah but a lot of the, I mentioned this before we got started, a lot of the people who I work with have seen what I've been doing and I'm, I'm still very new to this. I started really pursuing speaking as another career path. I'm a filmmaker is my background. And so I had a lot to say. I started a new business uh, helping people use what I've learned through documentary filmmaking, which is how to tell good stories without time, money, and resources and big crew. Um, and started using that to help people with their marketing strategies. A lot of people are one person teams. They have a lot of content to create and don't know how they're not artists. So I help them understand simple storytelling uh, techniques. And so when I started speaking, it helped me reach new audiences, a wider audience and help people on a deeper level. And so I, I put that out there. My life is I'm transparent and put all put that journey out there. And so I have a lot of people who I'm helping in story coaching that want to be speakers. They, they have a story they want to tell. They want to share their story. They feel like they have that inside of them. You talk a lot about imposter syndrome, which I love. Uh, I, I don't love the, <laughs> the effects of it, but I love to talk about it because people think that they're the only ones that feel this way. And so when you hear people like you or anyone that's a few steps ahead of them share that this is not unique to them, it's helpful. So my first question is, if you have a person that approaches you that feels they have that inside of them, they want to speak, where where do they start? I know that's a broad question, but what's your first piece of advice at the gate for someone who's like, Grant, I've always wanted to do this. I'm ready to take it seriously. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so inside our, our new book, the successful speaker, we walk through a five-step process that just helps people answer that question. Where do, where do I begin? It's kind of the, the, when I got started speaking, uh, I felt like I had the potential, but I needed the plan. I had the potential, but I needed the plan. Meaning that like, I felt like I was a decent speaker. I knew I wasn't the world's best speaker, but I knew that there was like something there. I enjoyed speaking, wanted to do more of it. No clue what to do from there. And there's a right. lot of people who may be listening here in that same spot of, I like speaking 
maybe some of them may want to do it, you know, professionally and do it full time. That's what I did for a long time. I was doing 60, 70 speaking gigs a year and other people who say, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that many. I, but I wouldn't mind doing, you know, two, three, four, five gigs yeah. a year. But again, I'm just having trouble figuring out how do you find those gigs and how much you charge and who hires speakers and what do you speak about? And how does this whole world work? And so uh, we wanted to, to really demystify and give people like a step-by-step process. And so uh, we, we teach what we call the speaker success roadmap, um, which is a, uh, a five-step process that makes the acronym speak S P E A K. So uh, what we can do is I, I can give you the overview of it and then we can dig in wherever you want. But sure. uh, the first part of the process is the S to select a problem to solve, select a problem to solve. This is the most important part of the process is you have to be really, really clear about who you speak to and what is the problem that you solve for that audience. Hmm. The next part of the process is the P is to prepare your talk, prepare your talk. And so most speakers at this point, uh, once we figure out who we speak to, what's the problem that we solve, now we have to figure out what's the solution. Uh, and this is where we dig into storytelling and, and using humor, slides and intros, outros, that sort of thing. Uh, the E is the uh, establish yourself as the expert. This really comes down to two primary marketing tools that you really need. You really need a website and you really need a demo video that can show hmm. other potential clients that this is what you do and this is why you are good fit for their event. The A is acquire paid speaking gigs, acquire paid speaking gigs. So it's more than just, okay, I got my website. I know what I want to speak about. Now I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring. Like that doesn't work. Like if you build it, they will not come. And so <laughs> you've got to be proactive in having a system in place to actually be able to consistently find and book gigs. And then the last part of the process is K, know when to scale, know when to scale. What we mean by that is there's a lot of people who are interested in speaking, but uh, speaking is just one methodology of how they could help people or share their message. So they, a lot of people are also interested in uh, doing a podcast or doing a YouTube channel or writing a book or uh, doing a course or coaching or consulting or any number of things. And so you can do all the things, but you can't do all the things at once. Something's going to come first. Something's going to come last. So you got to be really, really clear about how speaking fits into the mix. So again, that's kind of the big picture process that we walk people through, that we teach people uh, that makes, again, that speak framework. Uh, of how do you actually find a book gigs and how, where do you get started? I, li- I like that out of the gate, it's like select a problem to solve. This is something I experience when I, with the, the clients that I have on storytelling. It's the same thing, right? Like what's the problem that we're trying to, to, to overcome through this story? And so if they're wanting to tell a story about their brand, that's where often they're asking, well, where do I start? Do I start with the character? Do I start with the impact? And it's like, no, let's start with the problem that's going to set us on this journey. However, a lot of new speakers or aspiring speakers, people that want to take this step, tend to suffer from this, this like, they feel like their story is enough, is enough right? Mm-hmm. I, I just want to talk to people and share my story. I know this is something that you address. Yep. And that can be problematic because it's, it's, it's too vague, no? Like, what's the problem with people who are just like, well, I have, I've had all these things that I've gone through in my life and I just want to share that with people because I know it'll be helpful. Is yep. that true? Do we have to have this system in place? What do you, what do you say to someone like that? Because I, I find that a lot. Yeah. So when someone's like, Hey, I just, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what I, what the problem is or who I'd speak to. I just have, I just want to share my story. And like you said, I've, uh, you know, I've overcome some crazy obstacle or, uh, you know, I beat cancer or I climbed Mount Everest in my shorts or I, <laughs> you know, landed a plane in the Hudson river, you know, like, right. I, yeah, I get it. But here's the reality. Okay. No disrespect at all, but nobody cares. Nobody Boom. cares what you've gone through. Nobody cares what you've been through. Like, again, I don't say that to be disrespectful mm-hmm. or condescending in any way. Uh, but the reality is, is that the audience always wants to know what's in it for me. How does that apply to my life? And so 
an audience is always, we talk about this in the book, that, that the audience is always asking themselves two questions. They're asking themselves, so what and now what? Mm. So what and now what? So the audience always wants to know, so what? That, that's great that you, you beat cancer. Hallelujah. That's amazing for you. That's cool that you, you overcame that obstacle. But so what? What does that have to do with me? What does it have to do with my life? And then now what? What am I supposed to do as a result of that? So you overcame that obstacle. You told that crazy story. Wow, that was crazy. But what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do as a result of this? So you never want an audience leaving going like, it was a good talk or that was a good story, but I don't know what it had to do with me. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a result of that. We've all been in presentations like that. And you don't want to offer that presentation to your audiences. So you want to be clear. You can absolutely tell your story, but it has to be more than that. You have to, again, you're in the problem solving business. You're in the solution providing business. So mm. what is the problem that you solve? What is the solution that you provide? And your story, again, story can absolutely be a part of that. So I'm not saying don't tell the story, don't use the story by all means. Like if you go listen to, um, you know, if you're going to, to hear a speaker who climb Mount Everest in their shorts, like people are probably going to want to hear that story, but they want to know what does the story have to do with them? So you still have to be able to connect, connect the dots and show why it matters to them and what they should do as a result of that. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, solutions, solutions based. I love that. So Speaking of, of telling the story, for those people, how do, where does storytelling, where does telling your own story in your speeches, if you have that system and you're focused on solving that problem for people, where does storytelling fit into the speech? How do we utilize it? How do we use it? How is it impactful? Well, there, there, there's a lot of different ways you could use it, you know, so some of it, it may just be like, hey, it's, um, you know, that depending on the depth of the story, it may just be something that you you tell in the beginning or the middle of the end or something. And it's just kind of a, a quick story uh, that you throw in there. If it's like a bigger thing, uh, maybe a, a bigger part of the overall talk, and maybe you are telling sections of it, like almost like you're showing scenes of it uh, throughout, maybe you're opening with the scene, and you're closing with the scene, uh, and you're kind of filling in some, uh, some thoughts in between there. Um, so there's not necessarily what what's what's great about speaking is there's not necessarily like this right or wrong way to go about doing it. So it's not like we have to give a, you have to give an intro and then you have to do three points and then you have to do an outro uh, or you have to tell them what you're going to tell them and then tell them and tell them what you told them. You know, some of these like, um, uh, ideas that we think, well, if you're going to do a speech, you have to do it this way. You don't. Um, and so if you, if you watch a hundred different Ted talks, you'll see a hundred different types of presentations True. and they're all, they all work. They're all effective in the same way that you, there are certainly uh, a couple of different, um, uh, types of, um, uh, I guess type like types of movies and like how they would go through telling a story. Yeah. Um, and, and you can go through some of those kind of workflows and, uh, but there's others that are maybe like, we're going to tell you the, we're going to give you the punchline first and then we're going to kind of work backwards and say how we got to this point. Um, and both work, both are effective. So it's not, it's not necessarily this one size fits all if you, you have to do it this certain way. And, I noticed uh, why, why, why is storytelling effective when, when you're delivering this information? I noticed in the book, you kind of start off every chapter, every part with a story. So is that to, because it's not just, it's not just fluff, right? It's not just to make people laugh or engage them. What's, what's the purpose? And why did you do that in the story where you, you tell, or in the book rather, you tell a story and then you go on to expand and expound on, on 
you know, the now what, as you say. Yeah. So as humans, we're drawn to stories. Like humans love stories. If I said right now, let me tell you a story. Like people are going to just perk up. Uh, I knew we have no idea. Like if if I said, let me tell you a story. Is this going to be funny? Is this going to be sad? Is this going to be boring? Is this going to be depressing? Is this going to be interesting? Is it going to be motivating? Is it going to be, you know, we don't, we don't know, but we love a good story. And so we're in for it. Uh, And so that's like, as humans, we're, we're just, we're drawn to stories. We love stories. Stories are very memorable. They're very very Mm. relatable. They're very personable. um, if you look at a good example of this is if you look at um, a popular YouTube uh, video is um, uh, Steve Jobs did a commencement address years ago, at, I believe Stanford University. Uh, and he basically it was like a short 10, 12 minute um, uh, presentation, but he told, he said, I'm going to tell you three stories. And he told three stories and that's the, that's the whole talk right there. Uh, and so stories are really, really memorable and relatable for people. So let me give you an example. I'll tell you a story. And so my, um, uh, at the time of this recording, we're, we're, uh, we're all in quarantine COVID land, but, um, pre all of this, my, uh, my oldest daughter, she just turned 14. Uh, she goes to our, our church's youth group and she goes there on, on Wednesday nights. And so, uh, I will take her, drop her off on, on Wednesday night and come back an hour and a half, two hours later and pick her up. And, uh, so I always on the drive home, I always ask her, what did the youth pastor talk about tonight? And a lot of times what happens is, uh, she finds herself just kind of drawing blanks on it. Like the yeah. way we, a lot of us do, we're just like, Oh, um, what did they talk about? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and she just kind of like, again, just kind of like, uh, him hawing about it. But yeah. a lot of times she will remember a story that he told. So for example, I remember I picked her up. This was probably, this was probably a month and a half, two months ago. And, uh, I, I picked her up and she said, I don't really remember, but Oh, he told the story and da, da, da. she goes into like this long story. I'm hearing this secondhand and I could probably still tell you a good chunk of the story, uh, because stories are, are very, very memorable. So that's one of the, one of the things that when, uh, like as audience members think how many times you leave a talk and you're like, that mm-hmm. talk was really good. I can give you kind of a one sentence summary, sort of, of what it was about. But beyond that, if they give you, let me give you the five points to this or the seven points to this strategy or like whatever, like people are just, aren't going to remember those things, you know, but they yeah. will remember stories. And so, uh, so that's why using a lot of stories can be really, really effective. Is this something that you, how long have you been speaking now? Um, so, uh, professionally, I've been doing this for about, uh, 13, 14 years. Okay. So is this something that you learned through that process? Was there someone who was kind of a mentor that told you like, Hey, if you want to really be a better speaker, you know, start to use stories or was this just kind of innate? Like you understood when you communicated with people in your youth group, that story stuck. Yeah, I think it was a combination of several different things. Uh, I think watching and learning from other speakers and seeing what worked and kind of how they they shape things and how they would tell stories. Uh, I learn a lot watching comedians. I think comedians are incredibly good at storytelling and incredibly good at uh, at communicating and, and speaking. It's a it's a it's a, a similar a, a different context, but a similar idea of they stand on stage and their job is to to um, keep an audience's attention for you know 30, 45, 60 minutes, whatever it may be, um, and 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 take them on a journey. And so speak or uh, comedians are really, really, really good storytellers. And there's some who, um, you know, maybe they just do, you know, cause a, a lot of like punchlines. Um, but a lot of them are, are really good storytellers. They tell For a sure. lot of stories and that's their whole, that's their whole set. Um, so comedians are really good. And the other thing I would say is, is some of this just comes with practice. Like when you're creating a talk, when you're creating specifically a story that you haven't delivered or haven't presented to an audience before, you're making an educated guess on how you think it's going to go. 
Mm-hmm. I think this is funny. I think this will resonate. I think this will make sense. But the reality is like you have no idea until you get in front of the audience. Uh, and then you get that real time feedback from them of, I thought this was going to be funny and it just wasn't. The audience didn't respond at all. Or I thought this was going to be more serious and it actually ended up being more sad. Uh, mm-hmm. And you just, you don't necessarily know until you get up in front of the audience. But the point being that each time you tell that story and you tell that story to a new audience, time and time and time again, then what happens is the story gets better because you're getting that feedback and you're knowing like every, like I know when I say this line that I'm always going to get this reaction. And I know that when I do it in this cadence or when I pause here, I get a bigger reaction or a better reaction. Uh, And so you just know all those little nuances and that's nothing that you necessarily know by just looking at a a blank screen and, and writing out a story, but you get that, that feedback over time that helps again, make the story better. I love that you compared it. I completely agree uh, to the comparison to, to comedy. Yeah. And uh, that, I mean, that helps with, with working on cutting things down, that, that helps with the delivery and the performance and the overall arc. Um, but I forget who it was. It might've been Seinfeld. He, he has a lot of the great comedy quotes. Yeah. And they said, it's one of the, maybe the only art form that you, you have to have the audience there to, to create the art. Right. I can write a song here and, and play it and know if it's pretty good. But if I'm doing comedy and I would say that similarly as, you know, as a speaker, you don't really know. You can feel like it's good, but you really, yeah. uh, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. You really have to know by doing it live what's going to hit, what's going to work, what's going to resonate with the audience. I mean, it's a it's an interactive, interchangeable uh, relationship, basically. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, a good uh, a good example of this is there's a documentary that Seinfeld did uh, years ago called uh, Comedian. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's so good. Um, but the premise for those who haven't seen it, and I think, I mean, I, I think it's on Netflix. So, um, so check it out there if, if not. But uh, I actually bought years ago the DVD of it. It was so good. But the idea is after the TV show Seinfeld ended, mm-hmm. um, Jerry Seinfeld is still a, a, even to this day, is a touring stand-up comedian. That's the core of what he does and the core of what he, he's kind of known for. Uh, and so after the, after the TV show uh, finishes, he's you know, arguably one of the world's biggest TV stars, and he's working on his next set for uh, a stand-up special. And so it shows him kind of like scribbling some ideas and taking something and going into a, a, uh, like a small club or a small venue and trying some different ideas or telling a joke or telling a story and he's bombing and it's not funny <laughs> or he's forgetting the punchline or he's trying to like scribble down some stuff. And, and you're just seeing like, sometimes we just think a great comedian or a great speaker they just hop up on stage and they're just funny or they just tell a story and it's just great. Um, and sure there may be some, some, uh, natural charisma that they may have that they're just kind of a naturally funny person. But what you see on stage is the hour is the, is the result of hours and hours and hours of practice and work behind the scenes, uh, to get to that point. And so it just kind of shows, um, for lack of a better term, it shows like how the sausage is made, um, Mm -hmm. that he doesn't just hop up there and, and tell some jokes and all of a sudden that's magically a Netflix special. Like if just doesn't work like that. Like they really spend a ton of time behind the scenes working on stuff and figuring out like that didn't work. That didn't work. That it's kind of like, you know, if you were, if you were a, a chef or a baker, you know, and you, you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, my goal is to create this new pasta dish and here's my best guess of what it's going to be. Now I create that. I take a bite of it. Mm, it needs a little bit more salt or we need to cook it a little yeah. bit longer or we overcooked it or we need to, let's add a little bit more water. Or let's add a little bit more sauce or whatever it may be. 
And you're just like making these little nuanced changes. At first, you're making your best guess, but then you're starting to make these subtle changes. So the point by by the time you get to the finished product of like, wow, this is really, really good. Not because I nailed it the first time, but because we made all, like we we tested it, we tried it, we made some adjustments, we got feedback, uh, and then it led us to, all right, here's this good final finished product. I'm so glad that you mentioned this. And I I know this is part of your platform. You talk about this a lot about um, how how we perceive other people. This is our imposter syndrome flaring up or, or, you know, what an expert really is. I literally had this conversation with my wife uh, this week and I know a lot of people suffer from this, especially these people who want to be speakers or want to be anything. You see someone who you look up to and you think they're unique. They're special. They have something that I don't have. When in reality, even a top high caliber, high performer like Jerry Seinfeld still falls on his face from time to time. Sure. Still has to do the basics and the fundamentals and practice, practice, practice. And in reality, all that separates them and the aspiring person is that they were bold enough to just get out there and try it first. Yeah. And then keep practicing. Right. And I think that's what, it, that's what it is about speaking the, you know, the first time that I got up there, it was exhilarating, but it wasn't great. I'm actually editing old content now to put it out and working with my team. And I'm like, Oh God, I'm so much better now, but it's still, it's still good content, you know, but yeah. But. Well, let, let me tell you a quick story. Um, yeah. and that this, this, I think really illustrates this. And I'm, again, this is a secondhand story. I didn't firsthand experience this, but this is a, a speaker friend of mine who has sh- shared the story many times. Um, and he basically, he, um, uh, his name's Alan Stein. He's a, a great speaker and, and used to do a lot of coaching with, um, uh, and, and basketball coaching and like strength and conditioning stuff with, uh, and, and started working with a bunch of NBA players. Mm-hmm. And so years ago he had the opportunity to go to kind of a, a private workout with, uh, the late, uh, Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, he, he goes to this workout and he, he gets there and he's just, he's watching He's watching. he's like, this is, if I remember correctly, this is like a, um, uh, like the workout was going to start at like a 5 a.m. or something. I may be getting some of the details wrong, but so we're going to start like around 5 a.m. or something. He's like, I'm going to get there early. I'm going to get there at 4.30, you know, and, and uh, he gets there and he's like, Kobe had already been there for like an hour to start working out and busting his butt. And so he's just sitting there like as a spectator kind of watching this practice, this private practice. And, and um, he said, Kobe's just going over these, these basic footwork drills, like over and over and over, like the things that you would teach, you know, elementary students or middle school students of, you know, just learning the fundamentals of the game. Um, and he's just watching them go over and over and over. And he said, after practice, he, after this practice was over, he went up and asked him, he said, you're, you're one of the greatest players on the planet. Like, why are you doing those basic fundamental things? And his response was something to the effect of, why do you think I'm one of the greatest players on the planet? Because I do these, these basic fundamental things over and over. I like, I work on these, like a Kobe Bryant, a LeBron James, a Tiger Woods, like, sure. They have some innate ability that maybe you and I weren't born with. Like LeBron is a large, large human being that you and I don't have. Right. But he also spends a significant amount of time working and practicing and getting better at his craft. And so is is Jerry Seinfeld naturally funny? Sure, I bet he is. But he also spends a lot of time thinking about the word choices that he uses is like crafting every possible sentence of every possible story of here's a 10 sentence, uh, a 10 word sentence. How do I get it down to seven and make it just more tight and concise? Uh, And those like that's the work that we don't see. We just assume like they're naturally funny. They're naturally talented. They're naturally athletic. And yeah, there is a level of that, but there's also a crap load of work that goes on behind the scenes that makes them great when it's time to perform. Mm, I love that Mamba mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's a good, it's good. It's a good 
thing for people to know, especially when we're talking about laying out this roadmap, right? Because yes, I'm sure Jerry Seinfeld is pretty funny, but being pretty funny naturally is not going to make you a professional comedian, let alone one of the top comedians of all time. Sure. Similarly, if we're, we're a person that is trying to, to become a speaker, people that are who we look up to that are great speakers, keynote speakers getting paid well, sure, they probably could, could hold their own just talking, but that's not, that's not how they've built a career off of it. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the more we show how the sausage is made and show that there's a system that takes repetition and practicing the basics, then it, it seems a little more achievable for people who think it's just this natural gift. And also on the flip side, for those people who think, hey, I've got a good story and, and that's all it, all it takes is I can just get up there and talk. It's like, no, no, no. This is something that the best of the best have to practice all day, every day. I think that's such valuable advice and realistic for people. Yeah. When I got started speaking, I remember a, um, a speaker friend of mine said, you, you have to fall in love with the process, mm. meaning that in, in anything, we uh, oftentimes we want the result, you know? So if you, uh, at the time of this recording, we're, you know, a couple months away from summer and uh, hopefully pools will be open and we can resume hopefully. some sense of normalcy in life again. Uh, and so like, as you know, as two dudes, like we want to, you know, you want to go to the pool and feel confident and feel like you look good and, and, uh, not cry when you take your, your shirt off and stand in front of the mirror and, you know, sob to yourself. Um, and so we want the result. We want to make sure that we look good, that we're in shape, that we avoid dad bod, but you have to fall in love with the process of doing the work that gets to the result. And so the same thing is true for a speaker or for an athlete or for a comedian is that we want the result of, I want to stand on stage and I want people to laugh. Or I want people to like me, or I want people to applaud. I want to get a standing ovation. I want to fill in the blank. What's the result, but you have to fall in love with the process that it takes to get to the result that you're going for. I love that comparison as well. And it reminds me because I, I have a fitness background and I've worked in the fitness industry for, for a while. And one of the things that I learned when I was working on a big, uh, or a TV project or a web series project was that, you know, it's not a one size. Actually, this is a line that you use a lot. It's not a one size fits all option in terms mm-hmm. of fitness, in terms of what's going to get us prepared for that summer and to, to, to defeat that dad bod. It really is what works for us. For some people, I play in a men's soccer league, uh, getting out there every week, although we can't right now, which sucks. Um, you know, that does it for me. Uh, for other people, I need to be in a class or the Peloton bike or whatever. So it's really yeah. a lot of that work is figuring out like what's something you're going to be able to do every day that you can look forward to and fall in love uh, to the process or, or with the process too. And so I think that applies to speaking too, because it, it's not a one size fits all. What's going to work for you may not work for me and for anyone else. And so it just takes a little bit of experimenting to find that thing that works for you. We're coming back to the same themes, right? If we're trying to get in shape, Hey, maybe you go try yoga. Maybe you go try a fitness class. Maybe you go try CrossFit. Maybe you go join a soccer league, but something will stick. And similarly, if we aren't getting out there and trying new things and practicing when we're given the opportunities to to speak or creating opportunities to speak right now, there's a lot of virtual opportunities where Mm -hmm. we can practice without a lot of uh, risk, right? Right. Sure. Um, So I think that's a way that we can mold what what works for us and something that we can do every time. Um, I wanted to ask you from your experience with storytelling and speaking, are, are there certain types of stories that you feel are in effective, most effective or most impactful on the audience? Yeah, I, uh, I would, I lean toward first person stories, like stories yeah. that you've actually lived. Uh, that is, uh, something that personally just really, really resonates with me. Um, because it's, it's one thing to say, you know, let me tell you, um, 
even like whenever I tell a secondhand story, like it's, it's fine, but it's not as powerful as like, man, I, I was looking Kobe Bryant in the eyes or I, yeah. you know, whatever, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I live this thing um, that makes it more impactful whenever, when I'm selling it secondhand, then it makes the audience feel even more removed, you know, cause they're, they're further down the line there. Uh, and so you want to make sure ideally that you're telling first person stories. So for example, I tell stories about my first car. I tell a story about taking my daughters to Disney world. Uh, I tell a story about, um, going skydiving one time, uh, about a high school yearbook, like just kind of these like random mm. things, because here's the deal. Um, uh, we all have had a first car. We all had high yeah. school yearbooks. We all, have, a bunch of people have gone to Disney. A bunch of people have gone skydiving. Like we kind of have like these shared experiences. And so I'm kind of, it's kind of the, it's part of what makes uh, a good comedian funny is someone like a Seinfeld is they're not saying like, you know, let me tell you about the time I met the president. Well, none of us have met the president, but they're talking about, you know, um, you know, what's up with supermarkets and like, we've all been to supermarkets so we can all talk about like, yeah, what is up with supermarkets? And you know, these random observations that they're making, um, and so, uh, so I think the first person stories, I think personally is just is what uh, resonates with me and, and what I tend to, to teach and recommend. Totally. I mean, that's, that's, as you said, that's what gives us something to relate to. And then, and then to me that, that is what helps people so much in understanding the, the now what, right? If they see, a, you know, a story that, that you've been through and they've, they're locked into, they believe you more, they can kind of see, because hopefully the stories that you give have some sort of lesson or at least lead into the next point you're trying to make. That's sure. That's how you've used it at the beginning of the chapters in the book. And so I think that when you have those people latched on because they've identified with you or the character, that makes them a little more uh, receptive to the information that, that you, then you have to dole out. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. Like stories are just, they're, they're, um, like we were talking about it, like me sharing a secondhand story from, uh, you know, a speaker friend of mine or from my daughter here. And like, those are stories. Like I, I didn't hear those stories. I didn't live those stories, but, yeah. um, but I still remember them. And Good so again, the, the effectiveness of the stick of the stickiness of stories, uh, is really powerful. Now, now you talk in the book about the different opportunities for speaking, the different types of speeches that you can give. Um, the one that I think most people associate when when they're wanting to be a speaker is maybe keynote speeches, right? That's the one that you see that gets kind of the the, the glamour, right? The people on stage talking to hundreds of people. That's what I want to do someday. But there's a variety of them. You know, we don't need to go through them all, but I mean, workshops, breakout sessions, seminars, one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, coaching style. So, and and in the book, you mentioned that keynotes are kind of the I think you said that you, you, uh, how did you put it? You were like 25% information, 75% performance. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're bigger and broader and they're, they're meant to be inspirational and kind of give a big message, but they don't go too deep. Sure. So they tend to lend themselves to this storytelling, you know, using stories, right? Because you're just trying to make people enjoy themselves and remember you and laugh and give them a little bit of information. So they're, would you say they're heavy on stories with keynote speeches? Yeah, I think again, uh, and stories work really, really well in um, in workshops. They work well in keynotes. That's what I was going to ask. Like, is it just keynote speeches, or can we use storytelling when we're doing something deeper and really getting to the nitty gritty of how to do something? 
Yeah. So you can use stories in any context, really. Um, so it's not that, you know, you can only use them in this context or that context, or they work better in this context versus that context. I don't, I don't think that that's, that's the case at all. I think stories, uh, stories are powerful in any context for a speaker. And so whether that's, again, you're sharing it in a keynote or you're sharing it in a workshop or you're sharing it um, on, a, uh, on a podcast or you're sharing it on a Facebook Live or whatever it may be, uh, stories, stories work well in, in, in just about any type of context. What are your thoughts on, I think there's a similarity here between speakers and, and how they may choose to present and the people who I serve, which are often businesses or nonprofits that are trying to tell their story. Maybe they're trying to raise money or sell a product, et cetera. What do you say to someone uh, who is clinging a little bit too much to their product features, their data, their statistics in a speaker. This may be their bullet points on their slides. Mm-hmm. Is that something to, to, because I have to convince people of this all the time because people are very, feel very strongly about, well, we got to include this, this, and this. Like, how do you feel about stats and data and bullet points versus storytelling? Well, I'd say big picture um, that there are going to be certain things that work uh, with some audiences or they work for a period of time and then over time they don't, they, they are less effective, you know? So even some of the examples are some of the stories you may be using. So for example, I used to tell a story, an example, um, about American Idol and talking about the original judges of, of, of Randy, Paula, and Simon. Well, now we are years and years removed from that. So, uh, so it's less effective. So it's no longer really, it makes sense for me to, to use that. And, and some of the audience may be like, I, who? Like, what are you talking about? And is that even a, is that a, is that a show that's even still on? Um, so you want to make sure that, that your, your stories, your data, your, your information is, is relevant. So if you're yeah. telling, you know, let me tell you some crazy stat from 1997, people are like, that's not 1997 anymore, you know? Yeah. So, um, so whether it's a story, whether it's a, it's a stat or a case study, you do want to make sure it's, it's up to date. It's relevant. It is. Uh, and there's certain things that are, are going to work really, really well, maybe for a moment, you know? So there's, uh, again, like while we're in the thick of this quarantine stuff on the other side of this, yeah, you can make some, some jokes about it. But if 10 years later, you're still talking about, man, let's talk about quarantine. You know, people are like, remember that we're, we're, we're past it. Move on. You know? Yeah, so there's, so yeah. So you, you, you want to make sure that, that your stuff is relevant uh, mm-hmm. to what is going on um, uh, in the world at the moment, but also realize like for most things that you're going to share, there's, there's probably going to be a shelf life to them. And on the flip side of, of, of what we've been talking about there, sometimes people are nervous to share a personal story. They feel sure. like they've got the information to talk about this. You know, we're talking about uh, AI or, or statistics and data, and, and they just want to give out information. They've heard that storytelling is important and a good way to engage with your audience and for them to remember what about if they're, they're nervous to share personal stories? Is it, do you think it's something they need to have the courage to do? Is, you know, is there something, is there truth in, 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 can we overshare? What do you think about someone who's reluctant to share their personal stories? Well, a lot of it does depend on the context and depends on what you're talking about. So like you said, if you're doing some data-driven uh, talk uh, about AI, then sharing some, you know, deep personal story may or may not have a, a uh, may not be relevant, you know? So if you're kind of sharing something again, uh, if an audience is asking themselves, so what now what they're, you're telling the story and it's just kind of like, wait, what, what does this have to do with the talk or what does this have to do with AI right. or what does this have to do with, you know, all the other data and stats and facts and figures that you've been sharing? You can run the um, risk of losing them. 
Totally. So you got to make sure that you're connecting the dots there and it's clear for an audience of like, here's why this, here's why I'm sharing this and here's why this matters. Um, so that'd be one thought. Um, as for, let's say the talk, it, 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 you, you want to tell some kind of personal story and it does fit. Um, then yeah, I think you absolutely, it, it's fine to share that because the, the reality is, is like, you'll have a lot of people in the audience who, uh, who resonate and are going like me too. I've had that same experience. I've had a similar experience or, um, you know, I've been scared or confused or lost or lonely or fearful or whatever. Um, and so I really, really resonate with that story that you, that you shared. So I think sharing those type of stories can, um, absolutely make a lot of sense. Now, as far as the, the oversharing part, uh, I think it's absolutely possible that you can overshare to the point where the audience is just like, it makes the audience uncomfortable. Um, and it's just like, it's, it's awkward, you know? So if you are like, sometimes people ask, you know, should you, if you're telling us a, a sad story, should you cry? It's like, yeah, if you need to cry or if you feel the need to cry, cry, like don't try to fake this or you're trying to just do this on cue every time. But if you're going to cry and you get it to the point where, um, uh, someone was asking me like, you know, should I tell this story? I get really emotional. I was like, if you can't tell the story without getting super emotional to the point where like, you can't even get through the story, then you shouldn't tell the story because mm -hmm. then it kind of like it, it, it takes away from the story. Cause you're just like, I, I feel bad for this. It's almost like the audience feels sorry for you, you know? Yeah. Um, you yeah. yeah. You don't want it. You don't want to get to that point you at want all. Empathy, not sympathy, right? Totally. Very much so. Great way to put it. And so, um, so yeah, you can, you can absolutely, it's possible to overshare. Um, and so you, you absolutely want to be aware of, of the, of that, that fine line. I think it, it keeps coming back to the same theme that we keep landing on, which is just like a speech or a story is a living, breathing, evolving thing. And we got to get out there and practice mold it, you know, you know, see how the audience reacts and mold it as, as we go along. And, and yeah. I think for those people who I'm really trying to help with this episode specifically, it's just about getting out there and trying it and knowing that there's a system you can follow, but it is a living, breathing thing that, that, that we can work on as, as we go forward and see what works and what doesn't. And that's going to be different for, for, for different people. Yep. Absolutely right. That it is. It's always a, a work in progress. So never do you feel like, okay, my talk is done. <laughs> yeah. finished. I nailed it. Yeah, you know, especially, done. especially if it's something that you're speaking on a regular basis and you're yeah. going to be telling that story over and over and over, you're always going to be making tweaks and improvements and, and, and changes and adjustments to it uh, to make the story better. Sweet man. Well, I know you got, you have to go soon. What do you, what do you, I wanted to find out really quickly. What are you focusing on for the rest of this year? Has this, you know, crisis, this pandemic that ran, has it thrown a lot of speed bumps at you? I know that with the coaching program, a lot of the work that you're doing is virtual, but you're, you're still a speaker. Like, is this <laughs> sidelined you or what are you, how are you pivoting? It's just, it's, it's certainly different right now. Um, because one of the unique things is that again, at the time of this recording, like there's not an event that's happening today, you know, a, a live in-person event. And, um, here's what I, here's what I, I feel very, very comfortable and confident with is that the speaking industry is one that has been around for a long time and will continue to be around for a long time. So when we get through this, not if we get through this, when we get through this, we have weathered storms before. This is certainly a, a weird one, but storms don't come to stay. They come to pass and this will pass. And so the the speaking industry will be fine on the other side of this. Uh, but the other thing I would say is that even though at this moment events aren't happening today, uh, there's still events that are, you know, several months out that are still looking for speakers, you know, so most events aren't hiring speakers the week before the event, they're hiring speakers three to six months out. And as of now, three to six months out, there are events that are scheduled that are taking yeah. place. And who knows what will happen between now and then. But I was talking with a, a buddy the other day who's got an event in four or five months. And he said, hey, 
a lot could change, but as of this moment, the event is still happening and I'm still having speakers. Uh, and so, so there's still a lot of opportunity for speakers to continue to, to be able to find and book gigs. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for everything, man. And uh, I'm enjoying the program, enjoying the book. Where's the best place for people to find that? Amazon or? Yeah, uh, the, the book, The Successful Speaker, uh, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, Building Your Platform is on Amazon, Barnes Noble, wherever you buy your books. Definitely check it out. Uh, also, uh, everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. A lot of free resources over there. We have a podcast by the same name, The Speaker Lab Podcast. So yeah, anything we can do to help serve and support speakers, we're, we're happy to be able to do. Well, sweet man. I also want to say that I'm proud of you. I know, I know how challenging that, that has been uh, to, to create that book and put that out there. And I, for one, am just very appreciative of, of the content that you put out there. So I want to plus one that to everybody listening. Uh, the Speaker Lab is, a, is an awesome podcast and all the stuff that you put out there is, is incredibly valuable. And I'm one of the people who have received that value. So thank you, brother. I hope you have a good Thanks, day and, and a great year. And I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, man. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.